You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ-centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at nielsville.org. Again, good morning and welcome to Nielsville. Glad to be here this morning as we continue our study in 1 John. We're in the section chapters 2 at the end of the chapter and we're going to look at it as well, a comparative passage in 1 John 4, verses 1 to 6. But before we read that scripture, let me ask you a question. Do you know the difference between a lie and a truth? And you would say, of course I do. Uh, But even in today's uh, news and fake news that we see often, right, sometimes what is true and what is not true, right? But think of it this way, if there's some, do you, do you know anybody that you know that can conventionally tell, make a lie a truth? Or when someone is popular or a leader in a group that you respect or that you want to be in, says something that you know deep in your heart is a lie, do you ignore it and say no big deal? Or do you hold on to what you know to be true and say, I'm staying with what I know That is true. You see, John in this passage is one who loves this church. Remember, John is an older, near his 90s, loves this church, is the father of this church, is a shepherd of his church, and he's concerned that they hold on to the truth. And so in this passage, we see, again, he gives some warning. But in the warning, he gives some encouragement, much like he did last week in the passage that we saw. So listen to the word of the Lord as John tenderly but yet graciously yet firmly interacts and shares important truth for the church to know. This is a word of the Lord beginning at chapter 2 verses 18. Children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that that Antichrist is coming so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has this, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
for many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But th by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around and as we look at this passage this morning, help me not to speak error. Help me to speak truth in a way that you would be glorified and that we would be edified. Oh, Lord, help us as we need you, Holy Spirit, as we even sang that song. We need you to fill us, to teach us, to guide us, to direct us. So, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would do that even now as we hear this word preached. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that I became a Christian in college. I became a follower of Christ. And as I grew in my faith, I was involved in a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Throughout my three years at, this, at McDaniel College, Western Maryland College, when I went, and now it's called McDaniel College in Westminster, Maryland, um, it is not a Christian school at all. It's a school of a liberal arts school. But there are professors there that often teach religious courses. And there was two such professors who were very contagious, very uh, ones who people were attracted to. They liked to listen to what they had to say. But what was interesting, they would often teach things contrary to the Christianity and contrary to the gospel. And what I noticed as I became a Christian in college, I noticed many, not many, some of my friends who grew up in the church, who um, said that they were followers of Christ, were very affected by these two gregarious, uh, I mean, that's a, what am I trying to say? You know what, gregarious, thank you. <laughs> you want to come up here and help me out here? <laughs> Uh, were affected, and then what happened that eventually they left the faith. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Another something that happened for us this, this past year, as my daughter went to college, a friend of her asked her, asked her to go to, a, to this particular church. And fortunately, I heard of this particular, it's a well-known church that I was concerned about. And as any father, you want, my, you want your kid to go to church, but you want to make sure they go to a church that is preaching Jesus and preaching the gospel. And as, we, as I engage with my, my daughter, I said, you know, look at the website. Make sure you understand what this, what this church is teaching. Because they were teaching something Jesus plus. And so we have, we have this, this, this challenge, right, of, of the importance, as John is communicating here, of knowing truth. And knowing the truth that we say that we believe in. And as, as, as I can identify, as I love my daughter and want her to grow in the truth of the gospel, John has a, a great desire for his church, his church that he puts so much energy in and so much pastoring in for them to stay with Jesus in the truth. And so hear his heart here. He's not here necessarily to be harsh with those who are teaching a false doctrine. His heart is for this church to know the difference between a truth and a lie, what is true and what is not about Jesus. 
So this morning, as we see this passage, I want us to pull together three inner working uh, things that John is doing, three essential realities for us. And you'll see that in your outline in, in the bulletin. But the first one is recognizing the deception of false teachers. The second thing we need to, reality you need to know is to hold on, and I changed the, 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 the bullet point, hold on to the truth that you know, and the last one is hold on to who's in you. So look again at recognizing the deception of others. I'm not going to read that passage again, but you see that in the, in the, on the bullet points in front of you, verses 18 and 19 in verses 22 and verses 4, 1, 3, and 5. So what does John want us to recognize about the deception of others? What, does he want to, what do we need to know about the Antichrist and the Antichrist and these false prophets that he mentions here? Well, the, the first thing we need to understand here is that we are in the last hour. Now, what John means here is that this is the time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Other passages of Scripture call it the last days. But most Christians during this time that John was writing this letter believed that since Jesus Christ, their Savior, has come, they were living in this new period and were in the last days waiting for Jesus to come. And they were hoping quickly. What we do need to remember, right, that God's timetable is not our timetable. What we believe is a long time is not a long time at all for God. That is the first thing we need to recognize. We are in this last hour. The other thing we need to realize is that these are real people lying about God. In fact, John says that we know that we are in between, in between these times before Christ's first coming and second coming because they are antichrists in our midst. Now, what does antichrist refer to? What are false teachers refer to? Well, these are people who, who, whose sole aim is to deceive believers. They existed in the past, they're in the present, and they will be in the future. They are forerunners, as John says, of the Antichrist. Now, who is this Antichrist? Now, throughout Scripture, we see both Jesus and Paul describing something, someone like the Antichrist or the evil one. He is likely a human representation or incarnation of the evil one whom Christ explicitly acknowledged in his teachings and prayers as well as Paul. Listen to what Jesus taught about the Antichrist and his in his, in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that we, we pray every week, except last week I forgot in the second service. But every week we usually pray, pray this, right? It says this, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Jesus, when he was with the scribes and Pharisees, says this to the scribes, you are the father of the devil. You are, you, you are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. And in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. There is an antichrist. There is one who is trying to distract the church from the truth. Now these antichrists, the 
small a, are those who used to be in the church. Look at verse 19. They used to serve in the church. However, they willingly went out from the church when they realized that their message was different from the message of the true teachers, the followers of Jesus, right? The disciples, John and the other disciples. See, these antichrists, these false teachers, were not really true believers. If so, they would have remained in the church. These antichrists, these false teachers, deny the truth about the Father and the Son. And we'll talk about that truth in a little bit. See, they preach a message, and this is important, they preach a message of instead of or against Christ. They preached another gospel. That's what John is saying. Their teachings did not honor Jesus Christ and made Jesus Christ and his work look incomplete or insufficient. He then describes them that they are not of God, but of the world. Remember last week, last week we talked about the world, and that, that's the world, world, the world ruled by Satan. The world, the, that, and that world is doomed, right? But they work in that world system to try to get their message out. And sadly, like some of my friends in college, people will believe these false teachers. So who are they today? How do we interact with this passage today? Now, we can definitely point out some, but the challenge for us, as, as, my, as my daughter and I talked about this church that she was inviting to, is to discern false teachings, to discern these teachers that are preaching a message against Christ. And simply, I will say this, and I'll give you uh, some more details, but there are those who subtract or add to Jesus in his message. What do I mean that they subtract from Jesus' message? They are actively denying the humanity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the doctrine of the Trinity, or any work of Christ, his perfect obedience, the death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension. It's Jesus, Jesus minus something else, minus about his character, minus about who he is. But there are also those who are adding, and these are teachers that add to the gospel message, saying that you need to do something to be complete in Christ. Like this church that my daughter was invited to was saying, it's Jesus plus you have to be baptized. It's just not putting your faith in Christ, but you have to be baptized to be saved. And it was work-based, right? That it's Jesus plus you have to do these things to keep your salvation. That is foreign to the teaching of the gospel. It's Jesus plus something else. So Tim Chalice, a, a theologian, a Christian who's written many books, gives some helpful ways to identify current false teachers. He has seven categories. Pay attention as I read these. These are, I think, helpful for us as we learn to know how to discern what these false teachers and heretics are about. First of all, he talks about false teachers and Christ being heretics. These are people who teach what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. They're gregarious figures, a natural leader, teaching just enough truth to mask his deadly error. Yet in denying the faith and celebrating what is false, his leaders, he leads his followers from the safety of orthodoxy to the pearl of heresy. He also gives a description. They're charlatans. A charlatan is a person who uses Christianity as a means of personal enticement. Paul, the Apostle Paul, charged 
Timothy, his young mentor, mentoree, to be on guard against, him, against such people. He says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and, use, and for quarrels and about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So he says, the charlatan is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet. He uses his leadership position to benefit from others' wealth. Another term that he uses is the prophet. Prophet claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of Scripture. So he comes across with new or authoritative words of prediction, teaching, rebuke, or encouragement. In reality, though, he is commissioned and empowered by Satan for the purpose of misleading and disrupting Christ's church. Again, this is what John says in First chapter 4, verse 1 of his letter. He says, Beloved, do not be deceived. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. A, fifth, a fourth description is the abuser. Now, the abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people. Usually, he takes advantage of them to feed his sexual lust, though he may also desire power. Both Peter, the Apostle Peter, and Jude were aware of abusers' lechery. Peter says this, Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Jude says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. See, the abuser claims he's, teaching, he's tending souls, but his true interest is ravishing bodies. He works his way into women's lives, confidence, homes, and beds. When he's not pursuing illicit sexual pleasure, he may be dominating a domineering people to gain power, abusing them on his path to prominence. He does this in the, same, in the name of ministry with the claim of God's anointing. He unapologetically uses and abuses others to feed his lust. Another helpful description is the divider. Here, the divider uses false doctrine just to disrupt or destroy the church. He gleefully divides brother from brother and sister from sister. In fact, June warned about him. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own godly, ungodly passions. If, this were her, if, if it, it, it was these who caused divisions, world, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in, in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See, the, the divider is devoid of the Holy Spirit, whose first fruit is to love, right, and of peace. But this false teacher brings strife, not love. He generates factions, not unity. He desires discord, not harmony. Then he talks about the tickler. This is a false teacher who cares nothing for what God wants and everything for what he wants. And I think this is very popular in our culture today. He's a man-pleaser rather than a God-pleaser. Paul thought of him as the ear tickler. He says this, Apostle Paul, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, the tickler craves popularity and praise from the world. To maintain his followers' respect, he preaches only parts of the Bible they deem acceptable. Therefore, he speaks truth of much of happiness, but little of sin. Much of heaven, but nothing of hell. He gives them only what, he want, what they want to hear. He preaches a partial gospel, but which is no gospel at all. And then lastly, he describes the speculator. And this is one who's obsessed with novelty, originality, or speculation. The author of Hebrews warned this, his church of these strange teachings. Paul called it different doctrine. See, these teachings focus on speculation, displaces the sure and steady doctrine of Scripture. The spectator tosses aside the bulk of the Bible's content and the weight of the Bible's emphasis in order to obsess about matters that are trivial or novel. He grows weary of old truths and pursues respectability through originality. I like how then Tim Chalice summarizes false teachers. Satan's greatest ambassadors, the evil ones, the Antichrist's greatest ambassadors, are not pimps, politicians, or power brokers. This is sobering, but pastors. His priests do not peddle a different religion, but a deadly perversion of the true one. His troops do not make a full-out frontal assault, but work as agents sneaking into the opposing army. Satan's tactics are studied, clever, predictable, effective. Therefore, we must always remain vigilant. Jesus himself warns, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Friends, this is sobering, but we need to recognize that there are false teachers in the world that are teaching a, another gospel, a Jesus plus or a Jesus minus. But here again, Paul, who loves his church and how God loves us, we see that he also encouraged them to recognize who they are, but also he says, hold firmly to the truth that you know. Hold truth to the truth that you know. And I say that to us today. Look at verses, chapter 2, verses 20 and 25, and verses 4-2, I believe, that are in front of you. What is the truth that we confess? What is the truth that we know? What, well, it is from the beginning, right? It's from the beginning that Jesus came and gave that message. It is the gospel, right, that keeps Jesus and his work in mind. In fact, all of those references that I read in describing the different false teachers, what were they concerned about? They were distracting from Jesus and his message. They were confusing who Jesus was. They were challenging what Jesus has said. And so what is that truth that we're to hold on to, that we're holding on to? Well, first of all, that Jesus Christ is fully human. Because there were people at that time that thought that Jesus only appeared to be human. But we believe that he experienced everything that we experienced. He did not appear to be human, but he was really a human. He cried. He pooped. He went through adolescence. He gets hungry. He gets tired. He's thirsty. He experienced emotional pain, right? He was disappointed. He was discouraged. He, he experienced physical pain. He bled. His bones were broken. He did this all without sin. As a human, he obeyed every command from God perfectly. He loved perfectly. He prayed perfectly. 
In every relationship that he was in, he did the most right and good thing. And as a human, he was portrayed, he was rejected, he suffered on the cross. He experienced joys and happiness. He shed real blood. He humanly took the anger of God, which killed him. He is fully human. But also this Jesus, one person, two natures, right? Fully human, but also fully God. Jesus Christ is fully God. He is God's eternal son. It is Jesus throughout his miracles that showed his deity, but also in his offer and accepting forgiveness of our sin. See, Jesus is the eternal son of God, always with the Father. Him and the Father are one, John reminds us. Jesus, we hold, we hold on to that truth, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. But we also hold on to Jesus' message. What is the good news, right? What is the good news that he came? He, Jesus himself said, I came for sinners, not the righteous. He came to save us from our sins. We cannot save ourselves. Our good works can never save us. What is good enough, according to God, who is ultimately good? See, he, Jesus, did this through his perfect obedience, death on the cross, his resurrection ascension. That is the message he taught his disciples from the beginning. That is the message the disciples taught the church during that day. That is a message that we must be, must be holding on to and sharing it with others. See, John is reminding them, this is the truth that resides in you. I'm reminding us today, this is the truth that must reside in us. Because as we abide in the truth, John says, our abiding in Christ carries saving forth. Not the labor of human abiding, but God keeps us abiding. It is the work of Christ. And we will be fruitful in our life as Christ is abiding and his truth is abiding in us. Then we will be showing forth his love, showing forth his mercy, showing forth his goodness, showing forth his righteousness. Because Christ is abiding in us. That truth of Christ is abiding in us. And ultimately, we will be preserved from destruction, from final judgment. Because as we abide in that truth that we just talked about, it secures and guarantees our eternal destiny. Yes, we need to recognize that there are false teachers teaching some bad things that distract us, that could distract us from Christ in his message. But I will remind you that you have this truth. Hold on to that truth. But also hold on to who's in you. Look at Chapters 2, verse 20, 27, and verses 4, 2, 4, and 6. Hold on to who's in you. John is reminding them that they've been anointed. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit has come to enter into their lives. So the anointing, this term anointing means the Holy Spirit. So as the truth, as the word, Jesus abides in us, so does the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He gives us life. The Spirit gives us life. It's the Spirit that gives us faith in this truth about Jesus. He has converted you. He has transformed you and is transforming you. He is the one who empowers us to live out the truth of the gospel. He also teaches us, it says. The Spirit uses the Word of God to teach us and help us to know how to live according to the Father's way. And what is the Father's way? To love God with all his heart, mind, and soul, and to love others as ourselves. Right? It's the Spirit and the Word that work together in growing us in grace. In fact, God, God reminds us that since we have the Holy Spirit, we can understand and follow the Bible independent from others. 
You don't necessarily need me to tell you this. God, as you have become the faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit delights to use the word to teach you. We also know there's value in this type of activity as well, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word. But God has given us the ability by his grace to understand his truth and to remain in the truth. We also see in chapter 4, verse 4, that the Holy Spirit is greater. See, the, the Holy Spirit enables us to overcome Satan and its power and overcome the bad teachings that we often see. He gives us the power to, influence, to resist their influence. And we see that the Holy Spirit helps us to know the truth and to defend the truth. He gives us the power and the ability to discern truth from error. He gives us the ability to hold on to the truth and to share it with others. Last night, my wife gets together with uh, women from our former neighborhood, lovely ladies. And yesterday, I, I grilled for grilled chicken for them. My son and I went out, and they were still at the table, and I came back and um, began to sit with them. And somehow, we got on to the discussion of the gospel and of faith. And... Um, and many of them come from many different backgrounds. Some who are not in the church, some are in the church. And as I was wrestling with, how do, how, how do we keep Jesus central in this message, right? It's so easy to be distracted on other peripheral you know, topics. I don't know how well I did, because as I evaluate, I always think I can do better, <laughs> right? But my goal is I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see this Jesus who... Who, who is fully God and fully man, who's come here on earth to live and to die and to arise and to ascend so that we can have life eternal. That's what we need to hold on to. That's what we need to share. That's what my passion is. I hope that is what your passion is, that we keep Jesus and his message central. That is John's desire for this church. This is God's desire for this church, to keep Jesus and his word central. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us to discern truth from lies, but also ask the Spirit to fill us with the love of Christ as we share these truths with others. Maybe we can pray something like this, and I will end in this prayer. Holy Spirit of God, visit now this soul of mine. Tarry within it until the evening time. Imagine all my thoughts, pervade all my imaginations, suggest my suggest, all my suggest decisions, lodge in my soul's most inward citadel, and order all my doings. Be with me in silence and in my speech, in my haste and in my leisure, in company and in solitude, in the freshness of the morning and in the weariness of the evening. Give me grace at all times to, rejo to rejoice in thy mysterious companionship, Give me grace to know what is true and hold on to what is true. Oh God, help me to share this truth boldly but lovingly for a world that needs this message. Oh Jesus, help us, we pray. Amen. Let us now prepare our time.